Hello, and welcome to Nutrition Navigator Podcast, bringing nutrition and wellness to you. We're a monthly podcast where we interview health professionals and community members about topics related to health and wellness. We're excited to share today's episode with you where we talk with Jackie Riven about food justice. My name is Ashley Monroe. I am a nutrition counselor at Campus Health and the host on today's episode. March is also National Nutrition Month, so we want to pause and have some recognition for that. And we really can't talk about nutrition without talking about food access and the way that food shows up in our system. So I'm really excited to talk or to share this episode with you today where we talk with Jackie about some of these topics. Where uh, Jackie is uh, uses, sorry, uh, she, her pronouns and received her Bachelor of Science in Public Health in 2015 and recently completed her second Bachelor's of Science in Nutritional Science with a dietetics emphasis in spring 2021 at the University of Arizona. She grew up partly in Nebraska and Arizona and was exposed early in life to farming, agriculture, and the community it builds. She is currently pursuing a Master's of Science in Agriculture Education, Technology, and Innovation at the University of Arizona with a strong interest in sustainable food systems, food justice, food sovereignty, and grassroots advocacy and policy work. She is also an Indigi FEWSS, which is Indigenous Food, Energy, and Water Security and Sovereignty National Science Foundation trainee, and works in solidarity with Indigenous scholars to help promote food justice and sovereignty within Indigenous, indigenous communities. Her thesis project focuses on work with the, sorry, the Service to All Relations School in Loop, Arizona, regarding their healthy foods for Navajo schools, farm to school curriculum and programming. Her goal is to become an out of the box nutrition and agricultural leader, specializing in the development and maintenance of thriving small scale urban farms and culturally appropriate nutrition education programs in food insecure communities by placing voices of community members first and foremost in those endeavors. This is a great conversation today. It's a complex topic and by no means is 30 minutes enough to unpack it all. But I think we did a pretty good job at introducing some concepts, getting people curious, and that's really what this is all about. So please enjoy and engage in this conversation as we talk with Jackie. All right, Jackie, thank you so much for being on the show today. If you could take a moment and tell our audience who you are and what it is you do here on campus or what you do professionally. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for having me on Nutrition Navigators. It's quite the honor. Um, I am a wildcat for life. I've been here for two undergrads now, and now I'm currently getting my master's degree in agriculture education, technology, and innovation. Um, I am an alumni of the public health uh, program and as well as nutritional sciences. So um, I have a lot of love for uh, nutritional science uh, with the U of A community. And a little bit about me, I use she, her pronouns. I'm originally from the Midwest, but a little bit, I grew up in Phoenix as well. So I really love the desert, I love the heat, but I did grow up in Nebraska around a lot of farming. Um, my grandma still has a farm in Nebraska, and there's certain things when you're a kid that you don't quite enjoy that much, but then you appreciate as an adult. So I think farming and gardening and agriculture is one of those things for me. 
and I've always been a why kid. So I was always like, why is this? Why is that? You know, and I just have continued that on into adulthood. And so that kind of, and also my passion too, for um, helping folks and kind of being one with community. And so really empowering folks to have their voices heard. Yeah. So that's a little bit about me. I'm super passionate about what I do. And I think that makes the work, the studying so much more easier and smoother to do when you really love the material and you're really um, in it. That's really, that's really true. You're a, that why you're a why person. I think that speaks to like wanting the, to know the root of, of issues and things. I think that's sometimes where all the fun exploration events. So that's really cool. We're going to talk a little bit. Thank you for being our expert today on this topic. We're going to talk a little bit about food justice and food sovereignty. Can you give, for folks that don't know what that is, do you think you could explain, you know, what food justice, well, I guess three terms get thrown around sometimes, food justice, food sovereignty, and then our food arpithed. Can you maybe define those words? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And I get that question a lot too. What is that? First, I kind of wanted to give my positionality of who I am. And uh, I think that's very important to coming into these spaces to um, identify kind of my positionality of who I am, how I grew up, certain biases that I have um, absorbed living in white dominated communities in the United States. And so I am a white cis woman and I am working um, in solidarity right now with communities, how I am involving myself in those spaces very actively to unlearn those certain biases and kind of cultural norms and stereotypes that we develop as human beings. So, but that is really needed, that vulnerability to um, combat the racism also as white and white supremacy culture that we see today in uh, nutrition, our food system, specifically in the United States. Yeah. And I, I love that you bring up this discussion of positionality. First off, if people don't yet realize like nutrition and food is inherently political. Um, And so I think that that's always an interesting moment that folks have like, oh my gosh, why are we, you know, this is a nutrition podcast. Like, why are we talking about some of these uh, other words (laughs) that come into like food policy and food politics, but it's inherently is uh, because of like the social kind of environment we live in in our political system. So I think that positionality is a really important piece and that speaks so I have, I feel like I have a very similar discussion a lot of time when I show up in spaces about weight inclusion and about weight stigma and about the lived experience in folks in larger bodies, because I am also, um, I'm a, you know, I'm cisgendered as well. And I hold other privileges, including size privilege myself. And so I love the piece of like standing in solidarity, being an ally and kind of understanding that people's lived experiences aren't the same. And I want to, it sounds like your piece of this too, is center and elevate voices that we should be elevating, right? Because it's not necessarily my voice that it needs to be elevated. It's the voices of those people who have had these different lived experiences that speak to some of these injustices or marginalizations and those kinds of things. Yeah, I think that's like super important, Ashley, to talk about because I think there's also a fine line too of even though we are in positions of privilege and power, 
to not shy away from those conversations, but being accepting of kind of the trauma that has, and the injustices that have occurred in our systems and our food mm-hmm. systems. And I think getting out of your comfort zone and getting into that challenge zone, and that's where we really learn about other folks dismantling those stereotypes we have of certain populations mm-hmm. and their food habits. And because um, we're human beings, we're all very complex. And yes. I think it does a disservice to title um, certain populations a certain way. But mm-hmm. I think it's our job to work in solidarity to uplift those voices. Mm-hmm. But again, do that learning ourselves and not put that on um, certain underrepresented Yes. Up, up, sorry, underrepresented populations because that gets into a tokenism. So that's that's yes. you know of well, you're the set person. Yeah. No, this is our responsibility to do this unlearning. Yeah. So I love that um, so much. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I guess like how does that tie in this discussion of you know food? food you know we have this positionality. We have this understanding that it's uncomfortable sometimes, but important to to unlearn things when it comes to injustices around our food system and actually just in general, I think that's just good food for thought, but what about our, what is food justice in of itself? Like, what does it mean to position ourselves to want food justice or for communities to want food justice? Cause it's different than, yeah. 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 So yeah, food justice, it, it really takes looking at the whole broad system kind of again put your wide kid hat on mm-hmm. so why are certain folks not able to access healthy culturally relevant foods mm-hmm. so why how why is this kind of what it is today so it kind of is looking at that broader system of why so there's a lot of policies that have shaped communities So if we look at communities that might be struggling with food insecurity and not having that access to fresh, culturally relevant foods. So I'm gonna break it out in systems. So um, we have our environment, right? So that's a broader thing too of you need land to farm, you need water, you need certain capital, right? Like funding money to get into those systems for you have that uh, autonomy to create, to grow your own cultural relevant foods. So that's one part of it. And also it's really important to look at our broader food system too, and looking at how these systems have benefited more privileged uh, populations and communities. So food desert is kind of a term on the way out versus food apartheid because of we're getting new knowledge kind of you do better once you know better. That is a quote from. Uh, oh yeah, I know that one, Maya Angelou. Yeah. Maya Angelou. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And that is very relevant to this conversation. So yeah. again, so kind of going back to food justice, mm-hmm. it's really a movement, and it is really led to be community led. So not me as a white um, cis woman going into communities that, well, you're food insecure, and I think I know best for mm-hmm. what you need in your community. No, it's really uplifting and empowering those voices of community members because they have a lot of knowledge and power and what they need and what mm-hmm. they desire. Those voices need to be in the forefront of these conversations of yes. what's food justice and what does that mean for individual communities that have traditionally been underserved by 
our whole system, kind of food system, mm-hmm. the United States kind of government also with colonialism, we have to look really at those dark periods of history, which are still prevalent today, but that is so important to do that kind of work mm-hmm. to know how, why are things the way they are mm-hmm. and what can we do to move forward to really empower and really seek that, that healthy cultural, culturally relevant food mm-hmm. as a human right for everyone. So that's a broader kind of definition of food justice. And I know a lot of different folks have different definitions of it. Well, I like that because I think yeah. it reminds me like anytime we talk about serving communities from a public health standpoint, I mean, the biggest piece of that is going into the community and, and centering their voice and, you know, learning from them what is really needed and what is known and, you know, how that they can be supported and supporting themselves and not like we're going to go in and kind of do any fixing of any kind. So I think that's important. And then I guess you mentioned the word food desert is kind of on the way out and there's other terminology that is used. Uh, and I know there's some reason behind that. Could you share why maybe the word food desert, which I think in nutrition gets talked a lot about from a food insecurity standpoint. Um, and I've even heard, you know, folks say, you know, the U of A itself is in a food desert because the proximity to grocery stores and things like that. So yeah, can you explain why is it on the way out and what is the alternative? Yeah, so I kind of want to unpack the words. Um, I love unpacking words, kind of like a puzzle, yes. but so food desert. So I honestly think it's kind of insulting. We live in desert, we live in mm-hmm. Tucson, but when you think of the desert here in Tucson, do you think, I don't think of kind of a tumbleweed, tumbleweed blowing across the road. There's <laughs> no, there's no life. There's no um, natural kind of, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of negative connotations with desert. If you think about it right. in general, if you're not from Arizona, you're not from, you know, the Tucson Phoenix area, the general kind of public too. And there's another word with that too, that gets thrown around food swamps. Mm-hmm. So that's another word also a food mirage too. So yeah. I kind of just want to mention those. When you think of those words, I think just asking the listeners that are listening to this, like, what do you think of those? What are your own implicit biases when you think of those, that terminology that gets mm-hmm. thrown around, especially nutritional sciences or just in public health, the whole mm-hmm. kind of spectrum you think of and kind of looking at your internal stereotypes and biases of certain people, like who do you think lives in these areas? So I think that is important to kind of unpack too individually because you'll be pleasantly surprised that your what kind of what you have the story in your head is it can't match the complexities of humans Mm -hmm. and how much power and resiliency and self-determination there are in these communities that we label as food deserts food swamps food Mm -hmm. mirages because as outsiders will think well we're you know in our society we're in academia we're we're really making it right we're really we have all this knowledge we study and that's important too but i think a lot of things get missed when we stereotype of who lives in the food desert and again, talking back to our food justice of talking about what are those overall policies? What are those overall constructs, systems? When we think about food desert, we think of deserts as naturally occurring. And the situation with access to healthy, culturally relevant foods for certain underserved communities in our country is not a natural, it's, it's not, it's 
absolutely not a, you know, individual choice, you know, and you like, we get these connotations of those stereotypes I was talking about. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's your own fault. No, there's a lot of systemic things that are against folks if we call them social determinants of health. So if you look up those, there's a lot of factors that shape how these communities come about. And I guess just going back to this, the food desert aspect is that, yes, it's not naturally occurring. It's important to understand that there's policies in our systems in our colonialistic United States mm-hmm. that have created these underserved folks with lack of access to healthy, culturally relevant foods that are, it should be human right and should be a wide accessibility to. And what's the other word that makes more sense to use? Because, you know, the word desert, because these food, food insecurity and the lack of food justice in certain communities is not naturally occurring. It is a built, it's a built system really of marginalization. What's the alternative word, I guess. And why does that make more sense? Yes. Well, I did not coin this term, but I, yeah. it's, keep, it's keeping up with the times, right? It's yes. kind of keeping up with more appropriate to use. And I am hundred percent supportive of cold food apartheid. So again, so we picked apart desert, right? So let's, what does apartheid mean? So I just looked up a general definition online and uh-huh. apartheid is a system of institutional racial segregation and discrimination. And so if you think of that, Think about the food policies, uh, different policies that have been racially discriminatory of certain populations that have been underserved in the U.S. So, um, again, that hits more at those root causes, those being in those spaces of why is this the way it is Mm -hmm. and understanding the broader systems historic. I love history now because I'm like, why are things, I mean, again, things that you don't appreciate as a kid that like wow this is actually I'm in it so I think it's really important to really get at those root causes and the term food apartheid is 100% more of a term that is more appropriate to describe communities that are facing uh, lack of access to healthy culturally relevant foods I think it's really important that we start going that way yeah because you can't just put you can't just put more grocery stores in places that don't have enough access to food, right? You have to pay people more money. You have to give more jobs. You have to address systemic injustices. You know, the root, the more like you're saying, like the root causes of the injustice is what is more important to making it more equitable. I think we're also talking just about like equity really. Exactly. You know, the difference between equity and equality, right? Right. So if you think about that, watching the baseball game, we've, I think a lot of folks have seen that, the different boxes, right? And when I think of that, I think the term like food mirage also describes that because people say, well, there's more grocery stores coming in. Well, Mm -hmm. let's say it is a very fancy grocery store in the community so that goes into gentrification. So it's right. a term that y'all can look up if interested, but it, you know, really pushes out those mom and pop stores mm-hmm. and kind of pushes out community members that are, have been there to start with. And mm-hmm. I noticed a lot more of this when I lived in Seattle mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so that gets into a little bit of that food mirage, these really fancy gourmet grocery stores, but can you afford it? Right. And that's not equitable. This is a sidecar, but I wonder like how much cultural appropriation is also going on trying to like 
have these fancy grocery stores fit in certain communities? Are they doing things like that that kind of feel icky in the sense of instead of just giving people more access to thriving in our own communities and what that would look like. And you mentioned the image of equity. I will definitely link to that. So students who maybe have never seen it will. And you mentioned some, and as you've been talking about terms, I feel like this might be a good episode to have like a glossary. Like, you know, at the beginning of some of the books, you have like a glossary of the, the, common terms we're going to use. I think yeah. that might help students kind of tease out and then and, and get them curious about, and not even just students, but anyone who's going to listen today, kind of figure out what some ways that this can kind of all click because it is really complex because we're asking you to kind of peel back all of the layers of what makes our system, our system. Okay. So speaking to food uh, justice being a movement, that's the food justice piece, before we talk about like what we can do as a community to help support that, what about food sovereignty? What is different about that terminology since we're playing with terms today? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah. I love these questions. So food sovereignty term bodies that relationship between the land and the people and having that autonomy to control your food system, your food production, and being able to care for your community, to take care of uh, yourself as an individual, your family, your communities, and kind of that waterfall effect of you have that choice. You get that choice of what your community wants and what you really deserve as a human right of having that access to those foods. Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's giving it back to the community to do what they've known how to do forever if they were just given the, I feel like if all communities had the necessary resources and power, this I think comes back to power, you know, the ability to take care of the community would make more sense, but because there's displacement in that power, I feel like that is part of what makes this really challenging, which maybe makes my next question really hard, which is what can we do as a community to help support food justice and food sovereignty movements. You know, we're going to have food day, which we're going to talk about on campus, ways that we can engage our U of A community into learning and having more knowledge around these food justice elements. But I guess in general, how can we help support some of these movements as individuals? Yes, there needs to be the systemic change, but as individuals, like what can we do to at least do some best practice? No, that's great, Ashley. Thank you. And yeah, as a community, I I really think in our capitalistic society is capital, right, is very key, right? So uh, there's a lot of talk about reparations as well, because if you look at the history of the United States, the true history of colonialism and that damage has been done to communities that um, now we would consider being in food apartheid and Uh, I think that is like giving that power back, that capital, and that really donating to bike POC-led community advocates and organizations, um, whether it be in Tucson or nationally, kind of wherever you can find folks that are specifically like community-led, but uh, community advocates that are within the community, have lived experience, that are are advocating for their own communities. And I'm speaking again with my positionality as a white cis woman too, I don't know. And neither do you actually, right? So it's, but having that kind of ego check too of like, yeah, I don't know everything, but 
but you do. So giving that funding, empowering with your dollars. And um, I think that's um, one of the biggest parts too of what can we do. I think going into also, if you want to enter these spaces and you want to do the work to unlearn those systemic implicit biases we've grown up with. And I think it's really key to actively listen to community members, activists, and those working in communities and with communities. So uh, to help promote their own food justice and sovereignty. So um, I think that means just taking a step back. And I know a lot of people have a lot of knowledge and, but just, just taking a back seat and listening. So kind of really listening and being supportive I guess, opening up space in these discussions for folks with lived experience and have been harmed the most by colonization and kind of white supremacy culture that is really embedded in our food system. So, and I think that's that's such an important piece of like having those brave conversations and coming in and really kind of understanding that you might be uncomfortable, but that's an invitation to lean in. And that's an invitation to get curious about why I feel uncomfortable about this topic or why do I feel uncomfortable when I hear some of this terminology or I think it's always interesting to kind of take a step back and think about where our own discomfort is coming from when we learn new information or hear people's lived experience and like don't necessarily feel like that it warrants validation I guess I don't know especially if you have those those feelings that come up in those spaces of it's not um BIPOC folks uh, Mm -hmm. job to comfort you a lot of white comfort of (laughs) no it's no because if you think about really the harm and trauma that certain populations have gone through this is a it's a privilege right to be able to do the work to unlearn yeah I guess being avoid being that white savior savior mentality so that's Mm -hmm. really important to that's another term that I'll add. Of, yeah. <laughs> it's a certain complex too, right? Of, yeah. Uh, coming into communities of, I want to say, no, it's really important to just take a step back, kind of just listen. So don't think actively listen is what means not, you have all these ideas and mm-hmm. maybe write those down, but let's take up less space in these discussions yeah. and leave more space for um folks and really believe, I think, believe populations, their struggles and what their needs and wants are. There's so much strength and knowledge systems that we don't even know as a Western lens. So I think, yeah. yeah. And that's what I was kind of getting at earlier with this idea of like people have been feeding themselves for, you know, ever and ever and ever with their own like cultural food. So I think a lot of times, I guess I get kind of miffed about sometimes in nutrition or in health where we kind of talk about certain foods being healthier than other foods. It's like, well, are we just saying that because they don't align with the dominant narrative or, you know, more westernized, what westernized views of what healthy food looks like. And um, I think too, from a health standpoint, I mean, this is another tangent of itself, but when certain, certain populations are, you know, higher risk for this health condition and this, we're still kind of putting so much blame on the individual when it's really like this systemic problem. And I heard a gal once, an activist once talk about like people don't make good choices, they have good choices. And so I think even that educator hat where I'm coming in and I want to do this education, it's like, uh, like, it's not our job to save folks. They don't always need to be kind of, they need to be maybe, maybe 
we, we should come from this place of, I want to empower you. And what do you need for me versus you must do blank. And I think it's just like, if they don't have good choices to make, how can we expect for folks to choose health promoting behaviors? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And again, yeah. Uh, unpacking that. If you think of our society in the United States, we're very individualized, right? Yes. So that is very focused of, well, you individually made that poor choice. So I think also, I think it's really important to just also when you're stepping back, put yourself in someone else's shoes. If you had to work two jobs, you had three kids to support. And, you know, there's just a yeah. lot of factors that I think, again, humans are so complex that I think it's comfortable again to stick in those narratives or stereotypes of who someone is and kind of judging them on their health choices. But I really challenge folks to kind of put themselves in mm-hmm. other folks, other communities' shoes. I think people do a lot of assuming, like, I think we look at an an individual and make a lot of assumptions. And I think sometimes we're just asking for people to kind of pause and not react maybe. And yeah, put yourself in their shoes or honestly look up what social determinants of health are and just recognize that our health is determined by so many things and individual behaviors is such a small piece of that. So yeah, I just think that's, people don't always look at it from that lens. The last piece too, of just what's healthy and unhealthy too, of just, Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm doing a grains lesson as an intern at Tucson Village Farm and Mm -hmm. yeah, half of your grains have to be whole grains, but as a human, I love my white rice. I love Mm. that versus brown rice. And I think, yeah, we just need to avoid that demonizing too, because working with food insecure communities, it's like, if a child, you know, or someone just has access to white rice, there's still nutrients in it. Or, I mean, that's just one example, but I think what's healthy and unhealthy, I think, and also there's so many cultural foods that are so healthy, so rich in vitamin nutrients that it's, it's kind of a shame that some of those things get demonized when doing health education, because there's so many good, yummy, good foods that are so healthy. And yeah. Um, sorry, but yeah. That's no, I love that, that because as a, like, I used to do more diabetes education by trade. I'm, I'm a diabetes educator. And then when we talk about carbohydrates, we talk about grains, we talk about foods in, um, like white rice in particular, I think the discussion of all your whole grain, all your grains must be whole grains. And, you know, we're really just asking people to eat a little more fiber. So sometimes I would just tell folks like, okay, white rice maybe doesn't have as much fiber as brown rice. Honestly, the difference is not that great. Like it's not that big of a deal, but anyways, for, for the sake of argument, white rice doesn't have as much fiber. So like, how could we add white, how could we add fiber to white rice? You know, could we put a vegetable in there? Could we, you know, add some, you know, something else that just like gives it more fiber versus like changing or demonizing the the item of food that is a staple in so many cultures. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think you make a really good point there and there doesn't always have to be this like swapping even, but like adding or thinking about, you know, corn tortillas are a staple in some people's households and those have tons of fiber in them. And I don't know, I think there's lots of ways to go about it. If we think about it more broadly or take our kind of very narrow idea of what health has to look like off. Yeah. Yeah. I just want, yeah, just put that why hat on, you know, why are they like that? Like, does it have to be like that? Like it's, it's not a, you know, we're, we're very complex beings. It's, you know, it's it's very live outside the box. Like challenge that and kind of actually why, like, why, why is this, 
the way it is. Why do we have this culture? Yeah. Why do we? okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I saw this thing the other day. I can link to it if people want to look at it, but it's like the eat well exchange. It's like, they go into, they talk a lot about food, um, food justice and yep. it's not in Arizona. It's in a different, um, part of the country. But what, one of the things they were talking about their two dietitians were, if you're going to serve people in certain communities, if you're going to, that you don't live in, mm-hmm. go to their grocery stores, go see what they have access to, go to their community to see what the food availability is like before you go in and do any education or any recommending or um, all of that to just kind of, you know, understand what the reality is before you kind of go that route. And this is maybe specifically for folks who are going to go out and work in those communities. But I thought that was such a great point. Um, And it puts our, it takes our expert hats off and it helps us be more, um, inclusive I think yeah I think yeah that humility yeah that's a great word of um I also have recognized that going to different communities too when I lived in Seattle and Mm -hmm. it was right before Thanksgiving and it was another um health educator doing the nutrition or cooking portion of this lesson and was like oh you're gonna have turkey you're gonna have mashed potatoes these very western centric kind of what thanksgiving is um to a primarily um hispanic um group of women that were like we don't eat and just in we don't eat these things we don't eat these things and so again it's kind of um again uh trying not to make those assumptions of who you what you think people eat and what they enjoy and again kind of think outside that box yeah i love that um and I think this, I think if anything, this, this discussion will give folks a lot of room to, to kind of think and to kind of get curious about some of these topics, but for students who maybe are new to some of this information or anyone who's listening to the show that maybe is new to this information, we'll link to a lot of stuff in the show notes, but are, are there oh, any sure. specific resources that students can access if they want more on this topic and they just feel like lit on fire with some desire for change <laughs> yeah yeah um it's kind of so I kind of go back when I was an undergrad I still a bit dated of a documentary series but I did watch this in my public health 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 disparities class and it had me in lecture here in the ILC just oh you know just like why is this like this but it's called unnatural causes and it's actually um a good resource too to look at that systematic um, with the Toad Odom uh, community and kind of uh, water resources and how, I think it's very, it's it goes really good into looking at systems. So it's a really good intro to, cause that's what got fired, me fired up and why I'm where I'm at today. And I think that's, it's a little bit dated, but again, it's still accurate to kind of where things are today, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. great, I think that's a great resource. Yeah. Yeah, and I think working directly with community members too, mm-hmm. is, I just encourage students to really get out there and get involved in your community because there's a lot of optimism too. There's a lot of fight. There's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. very determination. And I think there's a lot of hope. Yeah. And then I think I also put Ga- uh, Gather, which is a documentary on Netflix. I recommend folks to watch. It's in regards to indigenous food sovereignty and it's on there now. And but for unnatural causes um, that can be watched for free through the U of A library. Oh, cool. 
I did. I was going to ask you, I know it's on PBS, but I was going to ask how you access that. I just so appreciate all of your time before we end each podcast. That's so much, you know, good information before we end each podcast, we ask our guests just a couple rapid fire questions to learn a little bit more about you. Are you ready? There's only three. Yes, I'm ready. I oh. feel like I'm on Brene Brown's podcast. <laughs> I love this. Oh gosh, does she do this too? Yeah, she oh, does. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like that's really cool. Okay. If you could yeah. only eat three foods ever again, what would they be? Yeah. So I put homemade dal. So I had that. I worked for a family um, that was from India and the mom made this homemade dal every time I would nanny her kids. And I dream of it all the time and I cannot recreate it, but it was her homemade doll. I love it. Mango sticky rice. I've been to Thailand twice mm-hmm. and I can't get enough of it. It's amazing. And then I know it's like foods, but this is like kind of dishes, but I like it. Go with dishes. Um, yeah. And then huevos rancheros, mm. number one. <laughs> so those are my three foods if I could ever again. <laughs> Good choices. All right. Number two would be breakfast or dinner. If you had to choose a thousand percent breakfast. Yeah. I'm a breakfast person. (laughs) I'm the same way. Is it just like breakfast foods any time of day are your, are good for you? Oh, they have a lot of sugar. They have a lot of, you know, pancakes, waffles, kind of decadent. I don't know. I think not all the time, but I just feel like I have a a history of loving breakfast. I love it. My daughter's had whipped cream on her pancakes every every day this week so far. <laughs> Yummy. That's yeah. so good. If you have a uh, last question and maybe, okay. um, yeah, it's always an interesting one. If you could have dinner with three people dead or alive, who would they be? Yeah. So I, number one, uh, again, like uh, I know you're talking about like watching unnatural causes, but, um, there's certain folks that speak that are so like powerful. And mm-hmm. I think one of those folks is, uh, James Baldwin. So he is, uh, he was a uh, an activist and a novelist, um, kind of centric of the uh, civil rights movement. And mm-hmm. so, um, there's a movie uh, or documentary on Netflix called "I'm Not Your Negro," and I think that um, just his words are just so powerful and really kind of question why things are the way they are. And I. Yeah. So sorry. So that was number one. I would I love like to have it. dinner with James Baldwin, uh, Anthony Bourdain. If I could uh, have his life rest in peace of just kind of going around the world and kind of oh, having yeah. that humility and really trying new things and yeah. how oh, got an inspiration. And then, and I have last person I would love to have dinner with is she is still alive is Ruby Carr. And she is a, I don't know if he can cuss, but a badass poet. I like it. (laughs) And uh, really, uh, her words are just always hit in her books. So um, those are my three. I'd love love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's such a that's a great uh, dinner party for sure. And I love. I always say this in every podcast. I'm such a broken record, but I really feel like all the diversity in who people choose is really fun to kind of see. And I appreciate you sharing it with us today. This, this topic is, is vast. And so I asked so much of Jackie today to squeeze all of her knowledge and all of this like big conversation into 30 minutes or less. And we're going to probably have to come back and circle back to some of these topics, maybe another time too, if people, you know, if you all have more questions and comments, like we'd love to hear from you. But I just want to thank you for your time and just all the work you do on this topic. 
and all the humility you hold in in this space. And yeah, I'm just so grateful for you. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate you having this platform too. So to have these discussions, I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, Jackie, thank you. Okay. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening and please share with your friends and connect with us on all our campus health social channels. We are UAZ at Campus Health everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have questions specifically about the show, please email us at chs-nutritionnavigators at email.arizona.edu. And we're always looking for feedback and things you want to hear more of. We are excited to be sharing today's episode with you and want to thank Jackie so much for her time and expertise on our topic today. Uh, we appreciate we appreciate you. So thank you so much. And just a reminder again, March 23rd is our UA Food Day, which will be on the mall uh, in front of the in front of Old Main, and it will be from 11 to 2 p.m. And there'll be food and exhibits and all ways to engage within this topic of food justice. So we look forward to seeing you, um, and hopefully it'll be a beautiful day. Go March in Arizona. Until next time, be well, Wildcats.